so yeah, the topic today is uh, racism. Just a heads up, we are against racism. All right, just so, so that's uh, the official stance of the church, in case you're wondering. Uh, yeah, there we go. But, uh, but I, I've got a, a, an experience that I had that was uh, quite interesting in going to a church uh, probably maybe like seven or eight years ago now, where uh, I, I taught in Springfield, Massachusetts for a year. And while I was there, I went to a weekly Bible study uh, at a church that was a, a cool Pentecostal church where everyone was from Ghana, Africa. They were immigrants there, right? So, so I was invited to this by the teacher that I was replacing in Springfield, and, and he was from Ghana, Africa. And, and, and there were some things that I encountered there that, that I think are valid for us to kind of think through and what kind of church community we would want to be. That while I was there, I felt quite welcomed, even though I was the only person that was not from Ghana, which I, I guess Ghanaian, I think is the word. I don't know. I, I don't know how to pronounce that. But anyways, but here, here are some things that I noticed while I was there in the kind of church community they were that I hope that we could also be like. So here's some things that, that I noticed. One is that we were immediately recognized as family in God, that we immediately knew that we had this unity in, unity in Christ, right? Where we both had come to God through the same means, through God's only son, through Jesus. And as a result, us being all adopted into God's family, we were brothers and sisters in Christ. So that was the first thing that we noticed. Another thing that was helpful was that they talked to me. They communicated with me, right? That we, I felt welcome. They, they were willing to have conversation with me and talk about life and all sorts of different things. They're talking about the Bible, talk about Jesus. And it was, it was wonderful being able to have those conversations. And those conversations didn't focus on the fact that I was different than them, right? It wasn't like, oh, wow, you're different than all of us in the room right now, because that would have been weird if that was the, the focus of all of it. But there were at times still where we were able to kind of have, discuss our differences of culture or our different experiences in coming to Jesus or, or the different things that we've grown up with. So it was, it was still valuable to talk about those differences of culture and learn about one another. Another thing that I actually appreciated, and I guess this could maybe depend on the person, was that they didn't specifically or solely cater to me and my interests, all right? That some of the times we sang songs of worship in English, because I believe most of them, if not all of them, were English-speaking, but other times we sang songs, and I couldn't figure out which language it was. I guess that Ghana has like 70 different tribal languages, and I didn't recognize the name when I looked up the list earlier this week. But but yeah, they would sing in like some of their, their own cultural songs, like in their own language, but it was awesome. Like I was still, even though I didn't know what they were saying, like I might have recognized the tune sometimes or, or I would be able to like just worship God on my own even though they were singing in a completely different language. So I actually felt it was helpful that they didn't only cater to me and my interests, right? That they, they still practiced in something that made the, the rest of them feel welcomed and, and they were able to sing in songs that they, they liked. So, so here, here's my disclaimer. I hope that today when talking about this topic, I don't somehow stick my foot in my mouth. That's a possibility. I hope that I don't somehow slip up or mess up or, or I don't know. I, I don't intend to. I, as far as I know, I'm not racist. Uh, I don't believe that I am. I, I've never had issues with that to my knowledge. But I'm sure that just in, in terms of the deception of the human heart, that there, there's probably some residual sin, some benign issues, some, some things that are in there that I don't even know about. Okay, so, so that's probably the case, and if I became known about, uh, knew about those things, I, I would hope that I would respond in repentance, right? That would be the right response to racism in our hearts. And, uh, and I'm not aware of all of the issues on this topic, all right? I know that in different cultures, different nations, this issue is going to be different, 
All right, I'm not aware of all of the concerns in our culture that, that you might encounter, but what I will do, like I try to do every week, is present to you the Bible, present to you God's word, and then you will hopefully be equipped to then apply that to the different situations you might experience in this life. All right, so hopefully you'll be able to take the principles of God's word and, and use them as you encounter the different situations you might find yourself in, okay? Uh, so that, that's what I hope to do. And then also uh, where I'm unable to teach in the time that we have, uh, the Holy Spirit will hopefully take it the rest of the way where he will be the one to prompt in your heart the different things that maybe you need to start doing, the things you maybe need to stop doing, uh, you know, and convict us of, of sin and draw us closer to Jesus and complete the work of sanctification in us. So, so you might be wondering, well, why are we talking about racism when we're, you know, going on a series through the book of Acts? Uh, that's what we've been doing. Uh, we're in Acts chapter 17. It's in uh, the blue Bibles that we've got on page 666. Uh, if you want one, I'll make Dan grab you one. Just raise your hand and he's happy to help you out. Uh, and, and, and one of the reasons why I decided to bring this up this week is as we've been going through this book, as we come across different topics and things, I think it's valuable to expound on them or just to allow God's word to... to bring us to conviction or point out in our heart the things that we're off in. And, and the value of that truth is not just to, we don't want to just feel bad about where we're wrong, but we want the word of God to bring us to the point of repentance where we turn from the wrong things that we do and then experience freedom because the truth sets us free is what Jesus said. And in the book of Acts, Paul makes this claim about God regarding how he made us that I feel completely demolishes any, any uh, justification for racism. Okay, that it just completely demolishes it in, in terms of what God's heart is for humanity. And I think that it's worth now expounding that and taking a look at other scriptures as well. So at Acts 17, this is where we are. Paul's been introducing the people of Athens to the God that they don't know but wants to be known by them. All right, the God that wants to spend eternity with, with them and who loves them. And while he's talking about God, this is what he says in verse 26. And funny enough, I'm only covering half a verse again, but we're, we're, we're chugging through. It's okay. We've, it's it's going to be fine. So verse 26, uh, this is what he says. And he, that is God, made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. So if you, you're not sure who this man he's talking about, uh, he's referring to the Genesis account, the, the account of God making Adam and placing him in the garden after he made all of creation, right? That, that's the man that he's talking about. And through this man, right, he makes Eve, and then through them, they fill the whole earth with humanity. And what he's claiming here is that God made all of humanity, all of humankind, through these two people. All right, starting with this one man. So I'd want to point out that, uh, that God made all of these people to, to reproduce after themselves, all right, and that, that everyone came from the same two folks. So that kind of limits the possibilities of, of racism because we're all part of the same family. We're all part of the same people. We're all the same humans, right, is the idea here. And, and one of the things that I'll point out is that, right, uh, w when we covered uh, some of the topics in Genesis a few weeks ago, we said that God made plants to reproduce after their kind. And God made animals to reproduce after their kind, that they make things similar to themselves. And likewise, he made Adam and Eve, he made humans to reproduce after their kind. So humankind or mankind only comes from other humans, 
right? That's the idea. So they reproduce that way. Another thing I'd point out is that I don't think anyone disputes that uh, people of different ethnicities or races can reproduce. I think that that's pretty well established on our planet. Um, That therefore, by that observation, the Bible would put all humans and all races in the same kind category. We're all part of the same family. We're all part of God's humanity, okay? And, And so biblically, we are of one race, that we, all of humanity, is, is one people. Uh, that is how God made us. And, and in the Genesis account, another thing I'll point out is that God made us distinct from the animals, all right? That God made man different than the rest of all of creation, right? That he made us in his image, all right? And, and so mankind didn't come as a result of selective breeding of animals to, to eventually get a variety that brought us to a, a new species of, of humans, all right? So the Bible doesn't account for that as being a possibility, that we were made different than the animals. And since that biblically is the case, that means that there's no particular race that's more closely related to animals than the others, that, there, that means that there's not the possibility of multiple versions of humans coming from different primates, right? That means that we're all humans, right? There's, there, I can't be like, no, 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 that's just their animal nature acting that way. No, 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 we are humans. We are moral beings. We are made in the image of God, and we're all of, of equal standing before God in that regard, right? So I can't use that as a claim of like, no, they're, they're, like, they're like subhuman. No, that would be completely wrong. That would be incorrect, all right? So, so that's what I want to point out. And interestingly enough, uh, obviously, uh, scientists today, not all of them agree with the biblical account, but through genetic research over the last few decades, they have determined the same fact that all humans are the same species, okay? They have determined that comparing uh, genetics of, of different populations, different nations, different ethnicities, different races, and they found that, oddly enough, there's greater variety within a population from person to person than there are from race to race, all right? That's kind of a weird idea. So there's greater variety within a local population, genetically speaking, than there is between that population and another population that's in a different region or of a different color or have, you know, whatever different ethnicity they might have. So, so it turns out that there's greater variety between people that look like you than you and maybe someone that you might, on observation, feel like they look different than me, right? That, that, that they, we are all part of the same human race. So there's no basis for biological racism. There's no basis for it. Racism is a social construct, and obviously it's just a matter of our, our pattern recognition of, of just seeing something that looks different than us, and then, you know, as a result of society and everything, that we're just like, well, that's different, and now I feel uncomfortable. I've got to figure out what this is like. I'd rather be with maybe people that look more like me that I then assume are like me, right? And, and so that's maybe where it came from. I don't know. But, but either way, the, the origin of racism, uh, all right, because obviously it exists within society, there's oppression because of racism. There's, uh, even in the mild forms of racism, there's discomfort uh, that happens because of it where, where people are oppressed in minor degrees as well as extreme. But the origin of racism is, is sin. The sinfulness of the human heart is the cause of racism. All right, now you might, I'm going to make some, some broad claims here and you might be like, I don't even see how these two things are connected, but we'll get there. But, but the origin of racism is sin. And the, the Bible's solution to sin is the gospel. 
It's salvation through Jesus. It's our acknowledging and recognizing our sin and our need for a Savior. And so that the truth of God's Word is the thing that exposes sin in our hearts, that calls us to repentance and therefore freedom, right? We experience forgiveness through Christ. So like like I said, how can I get from racism to Jesus on the cross dying for our sins? I hope to bridge that gap over the next few minutes. So, So let's talk about what God's heart is for humanity. All right, so I've mentioned this one verse in Acts, that clearly all humans come from the same two people, or in this case it even says one man, all right, that we're all related. So, so clearly that's how God made us. And in terms of God's making us, I would also point out that on the earth it seems as though his desire was for diversity, for variety within us, that God made all sorts of different nations, that God's desire for the earth was for us to have that type of diversity. All right, God's desire for salvation is similar. Right? John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? that whosoever would believe in him might have eternal life. Right? So God's desire for salvation, just as through creation he had desire for diversity, his, de- his desire in salvation is likewise diversity. All right? That Jesus' desire for salvation and the gospel going forth is also one of diversity. Right, that when Jesus, before he ascended to heaven, right after having you know, died and rising again and hanging out with his disciples for 40 days, the last command he gives is to go into all the world, to all the nations, and preach the gospel. He didn't want them only hanging out in Jerusalem. He didn't want them only sharing the gospel, the good news of salvation, to the people that were like them. He said, no, 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 you need to get up and move. You need to go and seek out the people of the world, the nations of the world, and share with them this hope. That's what Jesus called them to do. So, right, so that's what we see even God the Son had the same vision for humanity in terms of salvation. And I would even say that God the Holy Spirit also has the same desire for diversity. That in Acts chapter 2, when the, the day of Pentecost came, where the Holy Spirit showed up on the earth with power, One of the manifestations, one of the uh, examples of the gifts of the Spirit that showed up was the gift of tongues. And in this instance, the gift was to communicate to people the wonderful works of God in their own language and not only that, in their own dialect. Where it's it's accounted in Acts 16 that there were at least, I'd count it as best I could trying to figure it out, there's at least 16 different people groups that were present in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost and they all were able to hear the glories of God, God's plan for salvation in their own language. So the Holy Spirit's desire was that people of different groups and nations and languages could hear about Jesus, and he, he almost like forced that upon the Christians at that time by making them speak in these different languages that they didn't even know. So all three parts of the triune God has this desire for diversity. And I'll point this out. That the same desire that God has on this earth for diversity is the same one that he has in heaven. All right, that that if I ask you what do the crowds of heaven look like, maybe you have an idea in your mind, all right, but I'll let you know it doesn't look like our crowd here today. All right, Uh, Vermont has a little bit of limitation when it comes to diversity, okay? But heaven will not look like just us. Okay, uh, just so you're aware. And, and in fact, in the Apostle John's uh, vision that he had of heaven, accounted for in the book of Revelation, uh, this is what it says when, when he sees people that are surrounding the throne of God singing praise to 
Jesus, this is what he said in Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10. He says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. All right, that's referring to the seal judgments in the end time. I'll let you figure that out on your own. Read the book of Revelation. It gets crazy scary in that. But don't worry, we don't have to be afraid. It's all right, it's all right. But anyway, so, so we're you know, maybe confused by this first part, but, but he says, for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God. So who do you think they're singing to? They're singing to Jesus, right? Who was slain on our behalf, who died on the cross and by his blood ransomed us for God, that we were redeemed. We were brought back into God's family. But notice these people for God that were ransomed. He says from every tribe, every language, right? Every people and every nation. That the people for whom Jesus died were of of great diversity, were of great variety, were were people from every tribe, language, tongue, nation, right? That that all of these people, this this is God's desire for salvation. This is God's desire for what heaven will look like. And this this same phrasing is it shows up two other times in the book of Revelation. All right, That, that, that heaven is going to be a diverse crowd, people that come from all sorts of different backgrounds, right? That's what God's desire is for humankind. And, and I guess I'll just read verse 10 here. He's, he says, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And what, what's interesting there is uh, other translations say that you've made them a nation of kings and priests, all right? Which is just kind of cool that, right, we don't have, you guys don't have to access God through me, Right? That, that I'm not somehow the avenue to which you communicate to him. But we all are saints of God. That we all, as believers in Jesus, are, are kings and priests. That we have access to the Father through Jesus, our high priest. Right? So that's just kind of a cool side note right there. But the people of God that have been ransomed are from a great variety of backgrounds. Right? Every tribe, tongue, language, nation, people group. Right? That's what... Jesus did when he died on the cross. And, and so here, here's some questions for us to process through, rhetorical questions. That means you don't have to answer them, okay, out loud. So uh, do we value people different than us the same way that Jesus values them? Okay? Or how about this? Do we value people of every tribe, language, and people the same way that Jesus does, right? Uh, and, and I'll point out that if we diminish their worth in our minds or in our actions, right, in our words, we are wrong. Because Jesus considers someone different than you worth shedding his blood for. He considers that his life, his death, was worth it for the sake of redeeming them and bringing them in to God's family. Right? So, so I just want to point out, like, we should not diminish people of that variety of group, right, for any reason, because Jesus considers them worth shedding his blood for. All right? So, so and, then, and then here's another question. What are we doing, all right, as a church family or as the, the global church, what are we doing to fill heaven with people with that, like that crowd? Are we only sharing the gospel with people that... that you know, maybe we feel comfortable with, or people that we think are like our culture, or people that look like us. What are we doing to, to fill heaven with a crowd like that? Are we only pursuing people that, you know, we think, you know, might respond to the gospel? Am, am I, you know, perhaps in advance excluding some people from hearing the message of God and responding to salvation preemptively? Am I like deciding, like, no, I'm not going to share Jesus with them? 
Like, I don't want to have a conversation with them. Is my heart, is my pursuit to seek and save the lost, which was what Jesus did, right? Am I really out there trying to bring people of all groups to come and know him? So, so let's consider, okay, so it said, this claims that, right, Jesus purchased us by his blood. So let, let's take a look at the work that Jesus did for us on the cross. I want to read a couple passages, and I'm only, like, catching glimpses of this in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, we can put that up on the screen. But if you want to read this whole passage, it's really awesome as far as God's vision for the church family, the family that he made. And this is what he says, uh, Ephesians 2, verses 12 to 14. And this is talking to to people like us, all right? Uh, It says, you have lived in this world without God and without hope. Which I would like to point out that those two things, uh, if if you don't have God in your life, your ability to have hope in your life is is quite limited. Uh, Verse 13, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus, right? Through salvation, we get to be united with Christ. So you might realize that. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him, through the blood of Christ, right? Jesus shed his blood so we could be reconciled with God. But it's not just reconciled to God that we experience. Verse 14, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. So Jesus' work on the cross was one in which he brought us closer to him and he brought us closer to each other. That we were adopted into his family and now as children of God, we are likewise brothers and sisters. Right? That the two people groups that are mentioned here are the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews were the the chosen people of God in the Old Testament, the the people of the book, the people uh, through, you know, they had the oracles of God through whom the Messiah would come. And Gentiles are probably, I would assume, most of us, people that are non-Jewish in heritage or black background or blood, right? That, that we're people that were, you know, our relatives were all pagans, uh, likewise, you know, likely or something like that. But, but, the, but the, the idea here is that, that God brought these two people groups together as they were drawn close to him. And that he tore down the wall of hostility that was between those two groups. Right? Those two groups did not originally get along, and God's desire, likewise for us or any subcategory of people group that we could think of, that when we come into the family of God, that whatever hostility we might have, that that wall is torn down. Like That's the work of Christ, to tear down that wall of hostility. So that's what he did. He broke down that wall that separated us. And, and this is the idea is that as a result, we have unity in Christ, and we also are one with one another. Here's a couple passages that convey that point, that in terms of salvation, we are one with each other. Uh, Colossians 3.11, it says, Here, in terms of salvation, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. That in the context of salvation, we all have access to God through Jesus. Right? There's no preferential treatment given to any of these categories. I mean, I don't even know if any of us are Scythians here. I don't know. I don't know what that means. But, but either way, the Scythians have the same access to Jesus as I have, right? That's the idea. Or Galatians 3.28 says a similar concept right here. Uh, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
So the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross brings us all to God through him. It's by his blood. It's not by my blood or the the heritage that I have or the background that I have or the works that I do. It's through Jesus and the work that he accomplished on the cross, that we have access to the Father, we're united with him, and then we are likewise united with each other. So salvation is available to all of us. So so here we go. Here's here's a case study that I want to think about. Here's a question. Can a Christian struggle with racism? Okay, so here's an interesting point, right? Can a Christian struggle with racism? And I've got a case study from the Bible for us to consider about the Apostle Peter. Someone who you might think is like, man, this guy, like he is up there. He is, you know, top dog when it comes to Christianity. He's got his life figured out. Sure, he messed up before Jesus died. But afterwards, man, this guy is just full of the spirit. He's preaching, right? He's out starting churches. He's reaching the lost. Yeah, Yeah, he struggled. You're right. So here we go. So in this case study, let's consider Peter, right? He's somewhat the leader of the apostles. Jesus, you know, kind of established him as in charge. And and here we go. God, uh, at one point in Acts chapter 10, God specifically gives Peter a vision uh, communicating to him that he wanted to reach all people groups. Because originally Peter was only sharing Jesus with other Jews, Right? He was pursuing those who were already uh, of that, that people group, and he's thinking like, hey, Jesus came as the Messiah for the Jews. But God like, kind of gives him a vision to like, kind of like, wake up, Peter, like, get with the program. I want you to go to everybody. I want you to reach everybody with this plan for salvation. And so God gives him this vision, and after Peter has this vision, uh, God gives him the opportunity to lead the first non-Jew to salvation. Right, that Peter has that opportunity, that privilege, which is really cool in Acts chapter 10. And after that happens, Peter en- ends up preaching to a crowd of Gentiles, people like me who are non-Jewish in heritage. And this is what he says in Acts 10.34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, no favoritism. Right? God's not playing favorites based off of, are you Jewish or are you not? Right? God's not playing favorites based on whatever your heritage might be. Verse 35, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him, right? That God's calling people from all nations that through repentance and through Jesus that we can have access to the Father. This is what Peter now is like, I understand this now. I get it, right? God gave me this vision. I got to lead this guy to the Lord. These people are likewise filled with the Spirit the same way that we were. Like, how can I deny that these people are saved? Like, let's baptize these, these people right now because clearly they're experiencing God in much the same way that we are, right? That's what he concluded. And yet knowing all of this, Peter ends up slipping back. That when he kind of ends up hanging out with some of his old friends, he kind of slips back into his former prejudice, right? It wasn't something that he practiced, but it was something that he struggled with, okay? It's kind of an interesting thing. You might be like, wow, Peter did that? And yeah, and, and maybe this is like some, man, I just like spit a little bit, but it's okay, uh, maybe this is like some, uh, a similar thing that you've experienced, right? That like a shameful experience that you've had that maybe when you hang out with your, your old college buddies, your high school friends, and they're telling a racist joke and you're like, man, wow, like, why did I laugh at that? Like, that wasn't right at all. You know, or maybe like when you're around your family at Thanksgiving and kind of like the older generation, you're like, oh man, I'm super uncomfortable right now. Like, what am I doing? Like that, that Peter, when he ended up hanging out with his old buddies, he kind of slipped back into his old habits. But fortunately, God just didn't leave it at that point. 
Here we go. Galatians chapter 2. This is Paul talking. And Paul has the opportunity to correct Peter's wrong thinking. Here we go. Uh, Yeah, you might not have realized this, that Peter was messing up bad, right? Even after he was uh, a preacher, right? So here we go. Galatians 2 verse 11. But when Cephas, uh, or Peter, right? That's another name that he had. Came to Antioch. This is Paul talking. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Peter was in the wrong, and it took his loving friend Paul to point it out to him. He's like, listen, like, like he had to really point it out to him. So what was the cause? What was the concern? Verse 12, for before certain men came from James, right, one of the apostles, uh, and these certain men were uh, Jewish in tradition before they became Christians, before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came... He drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Which I know, like, you would probably be afraid of a circumcision party as well. Um, But, yeah, oh boy. I don't think that's like a Tupperware party or anything, but... um, but what he was afraid of was these people that, uh, who were Christians, they did experience Jesus, but believed that you had to be Jewish in your Christianity. That you had to practice Christianity like the Jews did. That you had to adhere to all of the Old Testament law, all of the cultural law, all of the, the sacrifices and everything, right? They, they were like, no, 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 you need to be Jewish. And, and Peter knew that his Gentile brothers and sisters were believers. They were family. He would, he would have communion with them. He would eat with them. But then the moment that these kind of more legalistic Christians, sadly, came around, he, he found himself kind of withdrawing himself from the Gentiles and being like, I don't know, like, I guess I'm going to hang out with these guys because those, those guys aren't religious enough, is what he thought, right? Those guys aren't doing enough of the Jewish tradition, even though he knew better, right? Peter, he knew better, right? I mean, earlier in Acts, he said, I understand that God calls all people to himself, right? He's not interested in this preferential thing. So, so Peter's preference in this case was not necessarily one of racism, okay? We don't, we don't necessarily see racism conveyed in the Bible. It's more of cultural boundaries or language boundaries or belief boundaries, uh, but, but it, it's the same sort of issue that's on display, all right? It's the same sort of things that are, are being exposed in his heart. And, and now his behavior was not one necessarily of, of oppression, right? He wasn't out hunting Gentiles who were believers, it wasn't even necessarily a sin of, of commission, that he was doing something against them. It was more of a sin of omission, that he was, there was something he should have been doing, but he drew back from, right? And just, I want to point out that sometimes it can be a sin when we aren't doing the right thing, not just when we do the wrong things, okay? But, but Peter, right, he demonstrated partiality. He demonstrated favoritism and discrimination in his preference uh, for Jewish believers over Gentile believers, Right? And, and this was an issue. And, and, and sadly, for Peter, it was something that was based on the fear of man. Right? He was afraid of these people that were more religious. He was afraid of, like, well, I've got to keep them happy. Like, I guess I'm just going to roll with this for now. But that wasn't what he should have been doing. And check out verse 13. Here's where the problem continues. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. The issue here is that Peter is in a place of leadership. He starts acting wrong according to prejudice. And now the people that are with him start doing the same exact thing. 
right? And, and if, I mean, you might not consider yourself a leader per se, but I do want to point out that the things that you say, the things that you believe, the things that you do that are prejudiced in some way similar to this are leading other people astray, all right? That your children might be led astray by the actions or the things that you say in your own household, okay? Or, or that, uh, think about young believers. Someone just becomes a Christian, they see some of the things you do or hear some of the things you say, what is that doing to that young believer, right? That you're in a place where they're now thinking that this is a permissible action based off of your participating in it, right? Or, or think about those who are, are pursuing Jesus, that we're supposed to be a light to the world, right? The salt of the earth. And when they see us maybe acting a certain way or saying certain things, they might be offended with us and thereby assume that they're offended with Jesus. When in reality, when we're doing those things, we're not representing Jesus well at all. It's our sinful nature that's doing that. So, so this was the issue, right? There, there was hypocrisy in the way that Peter was acting. And I want to point that out, that, that there was hypocrisy in the early church, all right? That, that the, the hypocrisy that you might be aware of in, in our modern culture amongst Christians, it's not something that's exclusive or it's not a modern phenomena or epidemic. It's something that happened generation one of the church, and just so you're aware, if we're keeping a track record for humankind, right, Adam and Eve, first people, right, right on the earth, relationship with God, they messed up. All right, Peter in the early church, right, okay, we were just forgiven by Jesus. We were just filled with the Holy Spirit. They messed up, right? We do not have a good track record as people. We are a people who needs a Savior. We are a people who needs forgiveness, and Christians are not perfect, Christians still are working through sin in their hearts, that we are works in progress, that the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us, making us more and more like Jesus, right? But, but I will point out that Paul's solution here, he didn't say, well, Peter was a hypocrite, so I'm not going to go to church anymore. He didn't say like, hey, uh, you know, people in Galatia, Peter was a hypocrite, so let's just do our own thing now. We don't need each other anymore because look at, look at the leadership had this issue. That's not what he says. Because in reality, we need each other, right? Sin and all, like we are all working through the sin in our hearts and our lives, that God is working it out, right? And that his word, when it confronts our hearts, it exposes our sin and brings us to repentance, right? So we need to, to be compassionate with one another. So Christians are not perfect. They're just forgiven sinners and our works in progress. But check out what Paul says, verse 14. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. So this is verse 14 in in, uh, Galatians 2. When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the gospel, I said to Cephas, before them all, Paul opposes Peter to his face, like it said in verse 11, and in front of the entire crowd, he says this to Peter. Like you might think like, wow, what is Paul doing? Is that even right? Here's, Here's what he says. He says, if you, though a Jew... Live like a Gentile, you're not adhering to all of the Old Testament law, and and you don't live like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So you're free from the Old Testament law, but you, you don't think they're Jewish enough to hang out with? I don't understand this. So he points out the hypocrisy to Peter. And one of the things that's interesting, it says that he noticed his conduct was not in step with the gospel. The things that Peter was doing was in direct contradiction to the things that they proclaimed, to the churches they were planting, to the message they were spreading. 
right? There was hypocrisy here. And Paul publicly corrected him. And not only publicly corrected him, but now we're reading a letter he wrote to someone completely different, the church in Galatia, about Peter's sin problem. And we're reading it today, 2,000 years later. Like, what? Like, was this right for Paul to do that? I mean, just a side note, you might be like, I don't know if that's right. Like, shouldn't he kind of like just dealt with the problem in-house? <laughs> right? We wouldn't know, first of all, like the sinfulness of the human heart. But, but in terms of, of correcting leadership, all right, in terms of correcting people that are in a position of authority, they are, when they persist in sin, to be corrected publicly. All right, this isn't the standard uh, means of correction for, for any believer in Christ. We're, I'm not going to stand up here and be like, okay, uh, Dan, here are his sins for everyone to know. Like that, well, I guess, Dan, you are in a place of leadership. I'm sorry. So Dan sins. We've got him up on the screen. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Here we go. Uh, but here, just so you believe, not me, but the Bible, here's, here's a verse in 1 Timothy 5.20. I don't know. Is our screen working still? Are we good? Okay, all right, they'd probably get lost, my bad. First, First Timothy 5.20, it says, As for those, sp- speaking about leaders in this context, as for those leaders who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that all, may re- uh, all the rest may stand in fear. All right, so for those people who are leaders, when they're doing wrong, other people are getting led astray as a result. And unfortunately, the problem has grown too big for it to be addressed on a one-on-one basis, all right? And this is an issue of persisting in sin, notice. It's a matter of practice. It's a matter of someone that's perhaps unrepentant, that leaders are to be corrected publicly so that everyone knows, like, oh, that wasn't right behavior when they were doing that or encouraging that, okay? So, so Paul is in the right in, in terms of his correction. And I think just like an interesting side note about our culture, sometimes our culture agrees with God's moral standard and sometimes it disagrees, we don't, we don't use the culture for our moral standard. And our culture would actually probably celebrate what Paul did to Peter. Our culture would be excited because racism or prejudice is a pet peeve of our culture, right? Where they'd be like, yeah, take him down. He should lose his job, right? Like, I'm going to, like, taunt him and, like, rant about him on Facebook, right? Like, our culture would celebrate this correction, which our culture is right. This prejudice, this racism is wrong. But just, like, as a side note, as, like, a diagnostic for our hearts— If Paul was correcting a sin issue regarding sexuality, our culture would not be excited about it, all right? Our culture is not the standard by which we know what is right or wrong, right? If if Paul was correcting some sex issue in Peter's life, our culture would be like, whoa, lay off. Like, Peter can do what he wants to do. Like, what's wrong with that, right? Like, that's what our culture would think. So just like as a side note, uh, our culture, you know, is not our moral standard. God's word is our standard. Okay, and uh, and we as Christians are supposed to uh, gently correct other believers, and we are supposed to warn the world of their accountability for their sins. Okay, so so here back back to Paul, verse fifteen, verse fifteen. It says, Paul's still talking to Peter. He says, "We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners." Verse sixteen. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. It's not your heritage. It's not your blood. It's not who you're related to that makes you justified before God. Okay? It's not the good things you try to do that can justify you before God, but it's through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order that uh, to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. And check out this last sentence. 
Uh, it looks like I probably have it cut off. Man, I didn't do a very good job on the slides this week. Oh, man. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. All right? We can't be justified by our own good works. We're saved by faith in Jesus. And so here we have Peter, a believer in Jesus, an apostle, right, who struggles with this sin. And it required the love of Paul to point it out in his life, right, that sometimes we can ignore the voice of the Holy Spirit convicting us of sin. And it's then through believers around us that the Holy Spirit might do his work, right? And so Paul lovingly points it out to to Peter, not only for sake of the love of Peter, but also for the sake of the love of the people that he's leading astray. And, and he, right, the truth of the gospel exposes his sin. So, so this is where this connects to the gospel. This is why this is so important, is that Paul's con- concern with Peter, he said, was, was that his conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. That as long as we have prejudice, as long as we have, you know, racism that's in our hearts, right, that we are not going to live as though the gospel is true. That we're not going to proclaim the gospel in the truth that it actually is. That we're, that we're going to be living in contradiction to what we're telling people. Okay, that, that's, that's the issue. So here, here's some of the questions for us. Do I automatically exclude people by not sharing Jesus with them merely because of maybe how they look? Or, or let's expand this to other, other realms and issues. Will I not share Jesus with someone because of maybe their religion? Like, oh, I don't know, that person's a Muslim. I don't think I'll, like, I'm not going to share Jesus with them. Or, or do I choose to not share Jesus with someone because of their, their sexual orientation or their identity? Like, am I going to just be like, no, I'm, I'm, I don't think they're ready. Like, I'm just going to only preach Jesus to people that are kind of most like me. Because if I'm doing that, I'm making the decision for them. I'm deciding for them that the gospel is not for them. Right? I'm not allowing them to be the ones to, to determine whether or not they want to experience freedom in Jesus. Right? I, it's not my right. Right? Am I limiting God by excluding those who may respond to the gospel? Right? Do our prejudices get in the way of our being a light to the world? Or here's another question. Who am I willing to serve for Jesus? Do I somehow filter that? Do my prejudices get in the way like, ah, I'm not going to serve that person? Because that's not right. Right? Does, does, is there some sort of filter that I have? Am I willing to go all out to show the love of Jesus to all people regardless of who they are? Am I willing to do that? Right? Because this is the idea. The gospel is a, a whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The invite is to everybody. And then it's up to them whether or not they reject it. But we are, to, we are called to send out the invite. Right? We're called to, to say, hey, listen, whoever comes to the Lord, whoever believes in him will be saved and have eternal life. It's, it's whoever. Jesus has the whoever as the invite, and that's who we're to invite to come to him. So here's the idea, is that all people are welcome. That all people are precious because they're made in the image of God, and they were, Jesus considered them worth shedding his own blood for. Right? So that's the gospel issue for us. So, so if you are someone who maybe not only struggles with racism, but practices it, I'll let you know that just as Peter was, you stand condemned. That, that's, that's wrong. You are in the wrong. That is something that you need to get over, okay? That's something that you need to repent. You need to confess before the Lord. Confess it as, as sin. And then don't go back to it. 
right? That's something that you have to sort through because someone's race is not anything that needs to be forgiven by you, right? They are, they are welcome into the family of God. And here, here's, here's a little bit of a flip for maybe some of us. In the family of God, let's say you don't struggle with racism. Are you able to befriend a Christian who does struggle with racism? Okay, like here, an interesting thing. Uh, will you offer grace to them as the Holy Spirit continues to sanctify them in their sin? Is, is racism some sort of unforgivable sin that you're like, nope, they are out of my life, out of the picture? They struggled with it once, I saw that, and that they are done with me. Because if that was the case, then the sermon that Peter preached the day the Holy Spirit showed up that's accounted in the book of Acts, we'd be like, I'm not going to listen to anything that guy says. He struggles with racism. Like any, any sermon Peter preaches in the book of Acts, we don't have to even count that as God's word because, like, Peter struggled with racism. But that's not how it works because God, the cool thing, is that all of us are broken, all of us are working through sin, right? We can't experience forgiveness, but, but God uses broken people like Peter. God uses broken people like us to demonstrate his glory. It's such a cool thing. That's the way that God works. So, that, so that's the question, right? Is like, although that person's racism needs to be exposed, needs to be repented of, and that's the right thing to do, is it a sin for which you maybe have zero tolerance that you're, you're limiting maybe the blessing that God has and intends them to be in your life just because of the, maybe the sin that they struggle with, right? Are you excluding them, right? Because God's designed us with a need for one another, all right, God's designed us with an interdependence. He's given gifts to the body of believers, right? And what if God has a blessing for you that he's giving through that person? Are you going to refuse it? I mean, like, it's just kind of an interesting thing. So God uses broken people to display his glory. And he, here's the last verse I want to put up is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 to 3. And this is in the New Living Translation. This is talking about our relationship with other believers. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Right? That we're able to say, hey, listen, that was the ugliness of the sin in your heart. You need to repent of that, but I can forgive you. Like, I would love to be able to help you walk through that. Right? I'm, I'm not going to cut you off entirely because of this. And then verse 3, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. So yeah, it says, right, we're to bear one another's burdens, to be gracious with one another, that each of us have faults, that God is still working out in our lives. And we need to be gracious towards each other as, as we work through those. And then we're united not just in Spirit, but in the Spirit. That it's the Holy Spirit, the one that points out to the fact that we are children of God, and if children of God, then brothers and sisters with each other. Let's have the, the worship team come up. There's a couple things I want to point out as they're setting up here. There, there are still people groups in our valley that I don't think we've effectively reached. Right? There, are, there are people groups that, I, I, I don't know, like we, we just... I don't think it's necessarily been intentional by any means, but there's just people groups that we have not reached. People that God loves, people that Jesus died for and that he shed his blood for, right? And, and, and 
I, I think I've mentioned this at missional communities a couple times, but, but one of the people groups that I would love to see if, if, you know, if God lays it on someone's heart to, to lead some way to reach is that there are international workers that come into our valley and a new group of them every three months. Right? They work up at Mount Snow, I think, most of the time. And they're like a whole new batch of international workers come in every three months. Right? And then they go back home. And that is a people group that I would love to see reached with the gospel. That like, I don't know, like our current maybe setup, our current missional communities, or our current network of relationships has not yet reached them to my knowledge. Right? And I think that would be awesome if we found a way to reach out and serve and show God's love to them. Because if one of those people encountered Jesus, you pretty much have like a, a slingshot missionary like right back to their home country when they go back. Right? Like I think that's like a people group that I, I just want to like keep putting that out there in case the Holy Spirit uses that to lay that on your hearts as like something like we need to do something. Like I want to do something. How can we reach them? How can we serve? And then another thought that I've had is that uh, the United States is going to be welcoming in 10,000 refugees from Syria. So if some of them come to Vermont, how are we going to treat them? How are we going to love them? What are we going to do to, to share with them the love of Jesus? Is there going to be prejudice in our hearts against them, maybe because of their place of origin, because of their nationality, because of maybe the religion that they currently are? Right? Like This is just something that I want us to think about because we don't want to limit what God can do through us. We don't want to make the family of God small here because maybe this is what we're most comfortable with. So let's see, as they're setting up, let's, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that your heart is for the world. Your love is for all people, that God, you've pursued all of us. You've called all nations to know you through repentance and through the blood that you shed on the cross. I pray, God, that the gospel would be so real to us that it would not just be something that we hope in for salvation, but it is something that we would live out. Holy Spirit, that you would just help us to live lives before you that are in step with the gospel. That the things we do, the way we live, the words we speak, the thoughts we have would be lined up with reality. And that reality is that you have made a way for all of us to know you. You've made forgiveness available to us. And that forgiveness is not something that we are to withhold from anyone because you have forgiven us so abundantly. I pray that you would empower your church to go forth and share that hope, that good news of forgiveness and love to this world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.